three or four years ago, we started into the Psalms. And we probably did 50 or 60 of the Psalms over the course of two years or so. Now, some of those required more than one Sunday. Obviously, Psalm 119, I think there were 10 weeks we spent in that particular Psalm. And I promised maybe to your delight or to your angst, that we would go back to the Psalms. Uh, so we're going to spend this summer in the Psalms and cover some of the Psalms that we didn't do. Now, we certainly can't cover them all. Maybe another three years we'll come back and finish um, the Psalms then. So this morning we come to Psalm number 6, okay? And uh, we'll do a little um, trivia. How many books of the Psalms are there? Five. There are five books of the Psalms, okay, 150 Psalms. There's a variety of different types of Psalms from praise, lament, penitence, joy, um, and we'll see what, what number six is in just a moment. So they're all types and they're for all occasions. Um, the Psalms, you, you can, uh, now it, it, it sometimes is difficult to pray through some Psalms just because you think, what in the world are they talking about here? Uh, and how am I going to pray this? And then other psalms really fall very nicely to our own prayers, inserting our own lives into this, you know, calling out to the Lord when we're in times of distress, praising the Lord in those times of joy. Um, so some are, are easier and some are harder, harder. And then, of course, there is the Psalter, which are, they've turned psalms into songs. And some tunes are known and some tunes are are foreign to us, I'll say that. Uh, one of my classes uh, when I was doing my doctoral work uh, was taught by Andrew McGowan. Andrew McGowan was a Scottish guy, is still alive, is a Scottish guy at the Highland Study Center and he was in Jackson, Mississippi to do, to teach this class and every morning he would stand up in his good Scottish way and say, gentlemen, you're about to sing a psalm. And he would start off, and he would give us the number, and he would just start off. And none of us knew it, but he knew it, okay? And he's just blasting it out like a good Scotsman. And, uh, and then, you know, by the Friday, because you, Monday through Friday, by Friday, we, we were used to it. And, but we still didn't know any of the songs. We didn't know any of the tunes. But they were all in here for him. And he sang them with joy and with gusto, okay? So if you're able, would you stand with me as we turn to Psalm 6. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would descend upon us, open our eyes and our hearts to what your word says, that they would be more than just words on a page, that they would come alive, pierce us right to our very souls, Lord, that we would understand your care for those who are yours. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. So, Psalm 6, the title to the choir master with stringed instruments According to the Shimonith, a psalm of David. Um, you can ask uh, Jeremy what a Shimonith is after uh, worship, okay? Um, so, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. 
My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. This is God's inspired word of God. Please be seated. So the title we see is to the choir master, it's, or the chief musician, however you want to uh, elaborate upon that. And, and some have thought that this is actually to the Lord, that he is the chief musician. He is the choir master over all choirs that sing and play. So Psalm 6 is known as one of the seven penitential songs, penitential psalms, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, 143. This one in particular is an individual lament. Okay? A lament is a cry out of sorrow. Uh, we have the book of Lamentations, which Jeremiah wrote. Uh, this is an individual cry to the Lord because of the situation that the psalmist assume it is David, is in. Uh, And he expresses his sorrow. He cries out to the Lord. He says, how long, Lord? How long am I going to be in this? And then at the end, and this this happens so many times in the Psalms. Then at the end, look at halfway through 8. The Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. The psalmist knows the Lord is faithful. Why does he know the Lord is faithful? Because he has seen it in his life again and again and again. And there's no problem with crying out to the Lord, as we'll see. No problem in calling out to the Lord and saying, Lord, what are you doing? Are you not paying attention? And then at the end, it's like, yeah, you are paying attention, Lord. I know you are. I'm just having a moment. And I, I want to get that out. But the Lord says, bring that to me. Bring your sorrows. Bring your frustrations. He can take it. He can take it. So there are two parts of the psalm. One to seven. Uh, the plea, the great distress, whatever that is. And then, of course, eight to ten. A very different tone. Uh, decrying or displaying the, 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 uh, the author's real trust in the Lord. I know you can do this. In verse 9, he speaks of what the Lord has done in the past so he can take great comfort in the present. Okay, That gives him, I can look back and say, the Lord has done this and this and this, and even though I'm in this situation right now, I'm going to trust in him because I have seen him do these things in my life. I have seen him do these things historically. Now, we might say, well, Rand, uh, this psalm was written... uh, what, 225, 26, 2700 years ago? Really? Really? Yes. We can take great comfort in the fact that David knows what the Lord has done. David knows the great works that the Lord has done, how he has cared for him over the years. We too can take that great comfort because the Lord doesn't change. He's the same, whether it's here or whether it's here. Now, it's important for us to remember that the most common type of psalm is not a psalm of praise. It's not a psalm of joy. There's joy in in almost every psalm. There's praise in almost every psalm. It's not thanksgiving. The most common type of psalm is lament or penitence, okay, where where we cry out and say, Lord, I am sorry. I seek your forgiveness. 
where we cry out and say, Lord, I am in the midst of this. And it might be our own fault that we're in the midst of this. It might be somebody else's fault. But the Lord says, cry out to me nonetheless, whatever your circumstances. So the great thing about laments is despite our pain, despite our struggle and our doubts, we know where to turn. We turn to the Lord. That's where we go. Even in the midst of our sorrows. What's he say? Even in the midst of David's languishing. We, we don't usually use that term, but it's languishing. Lord, I am in trouble. So our faith, the days our faith is being tested. And it's the very act of turning to the Lord rather than to the, to the things of the world for comfort that demonstrates our faith and our hope and our trust in him. Charles Spurgeon says, in lament is often where we find him to be our greatest treasure. When I am in the pit and I turn to the Lord and I cry out to him, there I find him to be my greatest treasure. Unfortunately, too often people look to other things. They look to the temporary to fix it. So I'll just feel better and then I can get out of this languishing and I will feel better. So they look to the things of the world, whether they be alcohol or drugs or new relationships, shopping, isolation, whatever. Those are worldly answers. They do not yield the fruit of godliness. They do not drive us closer to the Lord. They actually take us further away from the Lord and trust in self. We turn to the Lord because he alone has the power to change. He has the power to change anything and everything. Remember what we learned the last couple of weeks? Do, do prayers change God? No. Do prayers change things? Yes. Okay? Prayer is that, that second cause. God is the first cause of the change. Prayers are the second. He uses the prayers of those who are his to change things. And sometimes even when our circumstances don't change, our hearts change. Lord, get me out of this. Okay, I am dying here. David says, I'm languishing. And the Lord says, no. I'm going to leave you there. What's he say to Paul? Paul says three times he prays that this thorn in his side, thorn in his flesh, would be removed. And, and the answer that God gives him is, is, my grace is sufficient for you. And odds are we have all been in the midst of some trial, some terrible thing in our lives, and we've wondered, Lord, when you get me out? And he says, in my time, I want to remind you that here in the midst of this, my grace is sufficient for you. So Psalm 6 is both lament and penitence. Uh, David is highlighting his plight here, but he's also speaking for us. And because of David's honesty and David's plight here, we, we're in a sense invited to join in to that, that struggle, that when we are languishing, we know where to go. We know the words that, that David has prayed to the Lord. We know the confidence that he has shown. This is what we are called to do as well. Yet there's a, a question that remains. Where do you turn? Where do you, where does Randy turn in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our sorrows? Escape? Do we complain to others? Do you know how unfair God is? Do you know what he's doing to me? What an opportunity, okay, and we don't want to hear the, the, so Randy, your suffering is a great opportunity for you to understand God in a deeper way. I'd like to understand him in a deeper way in my joy, all right, not in my sorrow, not in my languishing, but often it is only then that we can really get a glimpse of what he is doing. And don't think that, well, I'm languishing and God hasn't done anything, 
It's not like he's busy and can't hear our prayers. Remember Calvin talked about a couple weeks. We don't have to wake him up and, and pray louder so that he will hear us. He is fully aware of each and every moment in each and every one of our lives. But we come before him and we realize his care for us and his grace is sufficient even in the midst of our languishing. So we don't know what the circumstances are for David in particular, but it seems that personal sin is not the main cause for his trouble. We see this in other places. Psalm 51, that's, that's his confession, uh, his penitent prayer before the Lord after his time with Bathsheba and his plea for forgiveness. Okay, So there's no real confession of sin here. David appears to be suffering some sort of injustice. Now, his languishing might be from a sickness that others are taking advantage of, or it might be the fact that he's being oppressed by others and that has caused this sickness. It doesn't elaborate for us. Um, But whatever it is, he understands that this is a time of discipline for him. Okay, now there are various types of discipline. This is not a bad David, bad David. This is not that. This is a discipline that, that shapes us, a discipline that molds us more and more like Christ. That's the type of discipline that he's saying. And he prays, verse 1, Lord, rebuke me, but not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Okay? If he had been in sin, Psalm 51, then he would expect the Lord in his anger to discipline him. But apparently there is no No sin here that he needs to to deal with. David sees his troubles, though, as the Lord's discipline, the Lord's correction in his life. You know, frankly, I'd I'd rather not be corrected by the Lord. I would much rather have enough insight to read his word and conform my life to that. But Randy has Randy's desires, and he pursues them. And sometimes we have to be corrected and brought back into the perfect will of our Heavenly Father. And whatever is going on here, he sets him apart from, what's verse 8? The workers of evil. Okay, so there are workers of evil who are doing bad things, and then there's David who's righteous, apparently, at this time. All right? So in Scripture, discipline is often associated, as I said, with personal sin. Think of Moses. They get to the promised land and 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 um, or they get they, they he doesn't go into the promised land because back at Meribah the Lord said speak to the rock and get some water out of it and what does he do he whacks it with a stick okay not what the Lord wanted that kept him out of the promised land Numbers chapter twenty but Scripture also knows of discipline that is not punitive and that type of discipline as I said keeps us drawing closer to the Lord okay think of the um, uh, sorry, Robert, I'll pick on you because you're a marathoner. The discipline of training for a marathon. Okay, now it's not like well, Randy will get up tomorrow and run a marathon. Randy will get up and run to the kitchen tomorrow. Okay, Robert has to train and train and train and prepare his body. He has to discipline his body. Remember, Paul talks about that. I beat my body so that I'm not so that I'm ready for what lies ahead. I get ready for those things. I discipline my body. Ephesians chapter 6, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Correct them lovingly. Keep them on the right path. So not all our suffering is 
is tied to a specific sin, but it's used of the Lord to correct us and to form us into Christ-likeness. So when we are in the midst of such discipline, it is our job to turn to God and try to talk to him and figure out what he is doing. Now, so often we don't do that. We get in the midst of, of languishing, we get in the midst of sorrow or trial, and, and all we want is out. We're not looking at, Lord, what are you doing? We're not taking time to step back and say, Heavenly Father, how are you shaping me to conform to the will of Christ in the midst of this suffering? Okay. Now, sometimes there's joy at the end of suffering. Ladies, you know this. Those of you who have had children, right? John chapter 16, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into this world. Such joy that comes. Now, never having experienced childbirth myself, uh, I don't quite know the pain, but I was told very clearly that kidney stones are worse than childbirth. Okay? <laughs> well, laments like this are not exercises or excuses for us to wallow. They're not meant to give us pity parties. They are exercises to draw us closer to our Heavenly Father. Divinely appointed means of grace to shape us, to strengthen our souls, to endure until God addresses those external things that are oppressing us, causing, as David says, to languish. So to understand this, we have to understand God's sovereignty. God's at work in your languishing. God is at work in your sorrow. God is at work in, in your suffering. And when we pray to him, what do we pray? We pray, Lord, I am, I'm dying here. I need you to come right now. And what does the Lord say? I'm going to get there in what kind of time? His time. His perfect time. Okay? His perfect time. God is seldom early, but he is never late. That's according to his time, not according to Randy's time, unfortunately. So David begins, he gives us this honesty here. And, and I think the Lord wants us to be honest. He starts where he is. He starts in his suffering. That's when he cries out to the Lord. It doesn't say, Lord, now you are great and you are good. And, and I know that all things are going to work out for, for my good. And now that's, of course, that is true. But the Lord defines that good. He starts and he says, Lord, I'm, what's he say? Lord, rebuke me not in your anger. Be gracious to me. I am languishing. Help me, Lord. My bones are troubled. My bones are troubled. David begins where he is. That's what the Lord wants us to do. Begin your prayer where you are. If you're hurting, tell him. If you're suffering, tell him. Now, it's, don't, he knows what is going on. It is in that communication with him. We have this great privilege to come to the throne of grace. We who once were his enemies, been adopted as sons and daughters, we can come right to the throne of grace and lay all that we are before him. So David knows he's not blameless. And what does he do? He pleads for grace. He doesn't plead for justice. He pleads for grace. He's got some issue here, and he doesn't elaborate on it, but... He asked the Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger. Admonish me. He wants to be, have God's arm around him to lead him back on the path of righteousness. Now, his trouble is soul trouble. 
he's got some soul trouble. My bones are troubled. My soul is greatly troubled. But you, O oh Lord, how long? The bones here are, are obviously literal bones, but when your bones ache, that is the deepest part of you. Okay, So that's what David is saying here. The deepest part of me is aching, Lord. The strongest part of a human body are the bones. They are hurting. That's how much he is languishing. Okay, So how long? Now the question is not if. Will you come to me? He says, how long will you wait? He knows the faithfulness of the Lord. God is gracious. He is merciful. He is full of steadfast love and faithfulness. Yet his timing is his own. So this makes... Psalm 6 is the real model for us. Lord, when will you come and deliver me? When will you come and be gracious to me, Lord? And the Lord says, in the right moment. You will know it. In the right moment, I will come. And David says, verse 4, Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Why? Because I am worth it? No, David does not say that. He says, deliver my life. Save me for the stake, for the sake of your steadfast love. The sake of your steadfast love. Psalm 136, 29 verses. And Dan used a little bit of it a couple weeks ago in the call to worship. Makes a statement and the congregation says, great is his steadfast love. He goes back and forth like that again and again for 29 verses. They say the steadfast love of God. It's a staple in the life of the psalmist. All, All the psalmists talk about it. Okay, And then David's view is from death there's no remembrance. Lord, if I'm dead, I can't praise you. If I'm in Sheol, there's no way I can praise you. Now, David's not giving us a a dissertation on life after death here. He's just stating the obvious. If I am in the grave, I cannot praise you. I cannot praise you. If I am dead by the hand of these evil workers, what, what what, what good will that be? Okay, How can I praise you? Lord, save me. For your name's sake. Save me according to your steadfast love. Save me according to your faithfulness. Why? So that I can praise you. Spurgeon, again, says churchyards are silent places. The vaults of the sepulcher echo not with songs. Damp earth covers silent mouths. So we're, we're alive. We're supposed to be praising God. And David says, keep me alive, Lord, so I can praise your graciousness and so how many of us have cried out like david how long lord how long may have been a week if you if you ever get the stomach flu which is only 24 hours you cry out to the lord how long lord (laughs) how long am i gonna have to put up with this but then there are the diseases that linger for lifetimes those things that plague us they might be diseases they might be circumstances And as 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 hard as we can, we we just can't get out of those circumstances. We seem to be locked in there. And all we want is out. And the Lord is saying, but I've put you there for a reason. I have put you there for a purpose. I have plans for you there. How long? And how do we even know that God has heard our cries? How do we know that God is listening? That he, may cha- that he has ex- actual power to change our circumstances. 
you know, we pray for one thing, and, and thankfully the Lord does not always answer our prayers in the way that we pray them because he knows the right answer to our prayers. And this psalm is written in the midst of suffering. Rescue has not come yet in this psalm. I want you to see that clearly. David does not come back after the fact and write the second half of verse 8, verse 9, and verse 10. This is one writing. He does not come back afterwards and say, ah, okay, all the evildoers are gone. The Lord has heard my sound, song of weeping, okay? He doesn't do that. This is in the midst of his languishing. He knows the Lord has heard his plea. He knows the Lord has accepted his prayer. And he knows that his enemies are going to get it. Why? Because they're enemies of God, not just enemies of David. They are enemies of God. Again, Charles Spurgeon. Is it not sweet to believe that our tears are understood even when words fail? This is frequently the privilege of the saints. Praying the prayer of faith, they are often infallibly assured that they have prevailed with God. Assured confidence is no idle dream. For when the Holy Ghost bestows it upon us, we know its reality and could not doubt it, even though all men should deride our boldness. The Lord will receive and hear your prayer. And he will answer it in his time. And until then, his grace is sufficient. David says, let all my enemies be ashamed, greatly troubled. Because they're going to get it in the end. When? Well, whenever God decides it's appropriate. Until then, I will trust in him. So what do you do when your soul's troubled? Do you sit there and languish? Do you why me? What did we sing last week? Take it to the Lord in prayer. That's what you have to do. You think, oh, Rand, but, but can I do something? Yes. First and foremost, the most important thing you can do is take it to the Lord in prayer. Why? Because he changes things. He is sovereign. And if you don't believe that, then go on languishing. Go on and, and pity party in your suffering. But if you're going to do what the great spiritual men and women did, you're going to take it to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when our bones ache, when our soul is troubled, you understand that. You're sovereign. You already know what the issue is. But in the midst of those things, you're helping us to see and to understand. You say, come. Come to the throne of grace. Bring your sorrows, bring your joys, bring your languishings. And have confidence and say, I know the Lord hears my prayers. I know the Lord has the power to change these things. And if he doesn't change these things in a time frame that I'm happy with, I have to understand that he wants me there. He wants me to grow and to learn, to learn to trust him, to learn to cling to the things of Christ. Maybe he is shaping me. Help me, Father, there might be some here today who have been languishing for years and they just can't seem to get out of it. Whatever it is is heavy upon their hearts and upon their, their persons. It affects the way that they look at the world. Perhaps it affects the way that they look at you, Lord. 
I would ask that you would bring into their hearts right now a confidence that you have not abandoned them. You have not left them as, as orphans on their own. But even in the midst of their suffering and languishing, they are still within your hand and you will never let them go. Remind them, Lord, of what David has said. He says, you have heard my prayers, O Lord. I know that righteousness will prevail. Bring into their hearts, Lord, that great confidence that comes as we trust in you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.